As we struggled to put up the deer fence, we asked the question, why did God create deer? Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Avery, and welcome to our podcast of March the 18th, 2010, actually recorded the day before on St. Patrick's Day, because we're doing some traveling tomorrow and knew that... um, traveling in different directions, by the way. So we decided that uh, it would be smoother to go ahead and record everything today. And um, you raise a very valid question. (laughs) Right now, uh, deer just seem to be overgrown rats with no redeeming social value at all. I mean, I'm not a hunter. If I were a hunter and they provided my sustenance and I enjoy, and you know, venison's not bad, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, if that were my meat of choice, I would understand, yeah, there's a good reason to have deer, but you know, I'm, I'm more of a salmon and tuna kind of person myself, <laughs> like chicken too, and right now I agree with you, they're just annoyances. <laughs> but we are making progress dealing with those annoyances, and that's why we lead the podcast today talking about the deer fence. Right. Yes, it's been a little tougher than we expected to put that up. It sure has. This metal hexagrid fence fabric that we are using is surprisingly heavy. Right. So uh, that, I guess, has presented more difficulties than anything else. Um, both heavy and stiff. And as a result, what we have struggled with is... You get a section done, and then you say, oh, it's a little puffy spot there. It's a, there's some waves that are forming on that top rank there. Um, it's just slow going. Right. right. But um, <clears throat> we have kept at it and used some muscles we didn't know we had for a while. So I guess I can credit the deer with keeping me in shape anyway. <laughs> That's that part. One of the first things <laughs> we figured out is you want to hang it first. The fence fabric, you remember we've talked about monofilament line, and the monofilament line is already in place, and we're hanging the fence fabric on it. And what we've learned is it works a lot better if you go ahead and attach the fence fabric to that monofilament line using hog rings. That's the, the method prescribed by McGregor Deer Fence Company. But if it works a lot better to, put, to hang it first, and that takes the weight off of it, and then you can right. adjust and tweak and tune and so forth. And then I go ahead um, and hold the, it's hard to describe. I think we'll probably end up putting a video about this um, link to the the site. But I'll hold the fence fabric in place while you attach hog rings. And then we pull it as taut as we possibly can um, and then attach either to a post with those stainless steel rings that you have, right? Correct. or if, it's, if, if our attachment point is a tree, and some of them are, then uh, there are these huge, uh, they look like aluminum staples that you use to staple them yeah, to the two tree. Two-inch staples. Two-inch staples. So those are the attachment points. And uh, then, oh, and then we have to, of course, go back and stake the fabric to the ground to keep the deer from 
pulling up underneath. According to McGregor, the risk of the deer burrowing underneath the fence is higher than the risk that they will jump over the fence. So that's an important step we take is to go ahead and stake the bottom of the fence line down so the deer won't uh, burrow underneath there. And, you know, McGregor suggests placing the stake every six feet. Is that right? But I think (laughs) McGregor's wrong. I think they need to be much more frequent than that. I'll see these huge expanses where I think, oh, man, a deer maybe could get under that. I don't know. So I want to place them much more close you approximately know, six yeah. inches apart oh, if you had your ex- way you're exaggerating amanda love for a, a woman who does not eat red meat she just loves steaks ha 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 very funny but so i think we will end up going back and ordering some additional steaks if we need to and going back and staking it a little more closely than they recommend um just because we know we have so many deer around here not to mention rabbits of course i don't know what they're habits are about getting in and the other day we saw a fox running across the that was interesting wasn't it we think it was a fox it was something canine Mm -hmm. and it was very small not a coyote we know we know coyotes too small to be a coyote but boy could it move yeah Uh, ran across the path ahead of us as we were walking along but what we've learned is that this metal hex grid fence fabric uh will kink very easily, but it does not stretch. There is no stretch in it at all. So what we've learned is that in order to accommodate a grade change or any change in terrain, we end up doing some cutting and nipping and tucking. Yeah, clipping at the bottom of the fence. to, To help it fit in a smooth way. But once we've done that, it really does sort of fade into the background. Except for those white ties, and that's interesting, that's something I wouldn't have known, that also has to do with the psychology of deer, uh, which McGregor, apparently, they've done some research into this, but at, what did we decide, no higher than 32 inches off the ground. No higher than 30 inches. 30 inches. For each um, section, we place a white tie, just a simple plastic flagging, piece of flagging, and um, the reason is supposed to be and some of you may know this already, I didn't, that that's a sign of danger to deer so that they won't, they'll avoid the fence. What you really want them to do is avoid it. Yes. And, and not run into it. You don't want their weight against that fence. Believe me, I don't want any deer damage to that fence. But they, uh, so that white flagging simulates the look of a white a white-tailed deer's tail running away. So we were joking and saying, be sure you put that flagging at deer butt height because <laughs> apparently it's their fellow deer warning them, hey, I'm, I'm leaving, get out of here. So uh, it's, that's kind of an interesting little um, bit of information that I didn't know about deer. We're learning things all the time at Longleaf Breeze, aren't we? That's right. But what I loved yesterday, near the end of the day, um, is to walk into this beginning of the enclosed area we have now completed the south line and the west line and a piece of the north line so we have it i guess maybe a little more than halfway i think so enclosed yeah and what was so cool is to walk into that beginning of an enclosure and get the feeling of being in an enclosed space and it was just neat it's big we have plenty of it room is, to plant. It's a large <laughs> area. We are 
I have set a quarter of an acre, but I think it may be a little more like a third of an acre. As I was looking at it, I thought there are a lot of people who would just drool over thinking, oh, I could just put a house right in the middle of that and oh, it's plenty have, of room for a, have a, a fenced-in yard. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're, we're excited to lay it out and begin using it for the purpose it was intended for, which is actually growing stuff instead of defending deer from. So, right, right. And in order to do that, we know that we need to begin with seeds. So you've right. been busy with that. I have. I had fun. It did Saturday. I spent pretty much my day on um, just going through and finally ordering the seed that I think we need. The only thing I haven't gotten, we probably will plant some plants that we buy at the nursery, just because I'm not buying a lot of seed uh, to start indoors for reasons that I'll explain in just a minute. And also, we have not gotten our asparagus yet, and I doing some research about... Don't want to leave out asparagus. No, we don't want to because we love asparagus. So I'll probably end up trying to find some crowns. Uh, the catalogs from which I was ordering did not offer them. And those where I ended up ordering all my veg, our veg was from Seed Savers Exchange and Southern Exposure Seeds. And both of them are, <clears throat> they do as much organic uh, propagation as they can. And they also are Monsanto free. So, um, and Southern Exposure, one reason I really did order the bulk from that is because they are based in Virginia. It's a Southern climate-oriented um, sort of uh, service that they offer. And while they're not as far south as we are, they obviously, um, they, they have some um, brands available that I thought would be, um, maybe work here pretty well. Again, it's hit or miss. I'm still learning. So we could be totally wrong about some of this. But the, the summary, we got different kinds of beans. Oh, and I should mention that I already had several seed packets that I could be pretty confident are still good that we had just bought in the, during the fall and at the Southern SOG conference. So, in, in fact, many of those are from the Southern Exposure Seed Exchange because they had, um, had a, a, a booth set up at the, in the exhibition area, so I bought some seed there. <clears throat> but So I think we'll be in pretty good shape for different types of Snap beans, um, lima beans, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, uh, corn. Went with. I, I really wanted to avoid hybrids, but Silver Queen seems to be the king, the queen, <laughs> maybe even the king <clears throat> here in Alabama. And um, I thought oh, I got to try planting some Silver Queen because last year's corn was just a miserable failure. So you know, um, I've been thinking some about why the corn failed, and yes, there's a there's a good possibility that it failed because of the quality of that seed. There's also a possibility it failed because we didn't have enough of it. You know, in order for corn to pollinate, it needs a good bit of, you know, you have to have several corn stalks. Right. And I don't think we had but maybe 12 or 13 yeah. of them. So well, we'll have a whole lot more this year. If you have your way about it. If I, well, because I bought uh, one, a small packet of Silver Queen and a packet of Texas Honey June uh, sweet corn that is open pollinated. So hopefully between those two will be good. And I got a couple of what they call dent corns that are um, I'll use for grinding into cornmeal. Uh, Hickory King and Tennessee Red Cob. So we'll see how well that does. Uh, we know that cucumber does well here, so I got a couple of different varieties of that. Um, garlic. I know we don't plant garlic yet, but when we do, I'm prepared. <clears throat> And then some greens, collards, uh, spinach, etc., arugula, um, 
couple of kinds of le other lettuces and okra. We love okra. So I got three different varieties of that. And then um, some onion. Again, that's that's going to be ordered, brought in later, but I went ahead and ordered it so I could get the kind I wanted, and we'll plant that later. And then trying something new. Oh, squash. I should mention that we are getting yellow squash, zucchini. Uh, I have a winter squash, a couple of winter squash um, varieties I'll plant, and um, car purple carrots. They're called dragon. Um, and, of course, uh I already had a couple of watermelon packets here, so we'll get some um, cantaloupe going too. <clears throat> Something I'm trying for the first time, potatoes. I went to Peru a few years ago and had tasted blue potatoes and found out that there once were many, many varieties of potatoes on the, both the North and South American continents, but due to... I don't really know. I guess a preference for the Idaho potato. The ag the industrial agriculture system yeah, has just yeah. pushed out all of those yeah. unique varieties. Right. And we've never been big potato eaters. No, because I know it's not South Beach friendly, and I do try to be South Beach friendly when I can. <laughs> uh, but we are hopeful that uh, some of these new potatoes we will find both more tasty and will be uh, more comfortable for us to right. eat. Right. They're not as starchy. And um, we hope will be less of a problem if you're trying to not gain weight. But I got um, cranberry red, or I will be getting, they will be delivered, and they're red throughout. I think they are supposed to be less starchy. Uh, Russian banana fingerling, fingerling potatoes, those are big in South America. When I went to Ecuador a couple of years ago, I saw at the market a lot of fingerling potatoes being sold. And then uh, blue potatoes from Seed Savers Exchange. So we'll find out if, I, if we can make this work. About to enter the magical new world of weird potatoes. I know, I know. And of course, we should be able to propagate these seeds, and so or the, the seed potatoes. We should be able to propagate the potatoes um, if we get them going. Once we, we get them going, right. we hope that we won't have to keep buying seed or anything it's, else. Yeah, they're seed potatoes. They're actually, I think, chunks of potatoes. We haven't gotten them yet, so I don't really... I'm trying to envision what they look like. but And later we'll plant sweet potatoes. But last year we got, if, if the deer hadn't eaten the leaves off the top, I think we would have had a good crop. And most of those were just plants that I bought at the nursery. What was interesting to me is that process of ordering all of this, and it is quite an array. Uh, we spent a good bit of money right. uh, ordering all of that. Took you the better part of a whole day. Right, that's what I was saying. Because... I need it. I'm unfamiliar with it. I think it, next year it'll be so much quicker. I'll have a record, and we'll know what grows well here and what doesn't. So we do plan to keep a, our database up to date, and that will be available through the site. So that that's the longleaf planting database, which I think we've got a link. Yeah, we do. We've got a link to the database on the top of Longleaf Breeze. So just look for database. Right, and the, the other thing I was going to mention is that the there are three different. Um, types of vegetables that need to be started indoors and we don't really have a greenhouse yet we don't have space but I'm going to try I got one a Cherokee purple tomato uh, some variety of like a a yellow um, bell pepper and um, a, an eggplant variety Rosita eggplant that I'm going to try getting that started indoors so we can transplant 
not sure if that's going to work. And I know that I can go out and buy from the nur local nursery specimens of those plants if, if they don't work out or if we want to supplement. But and I know we'll probably want to, to get some more sweet 100s. Those did so well last mm -hmm. year. So we'll just buy a plant for those. But anyway, uh, stay tuned. You'll find out how well all this works out. And while we're talking about the greenhouse, let's uh, sort of talk through the thinking that we've got so far. I think we've tentatively agreed on placement for it, that it's going to be uh, south of the barn. I'm sorry, north of the barn, just on the north side of the blueberries. It'll be very convenient. It really will. And that's part of what we like about that location. Not only does it get full sun all day during the wintertime, but it's also very convenient to where we live, so we can go up there and check on things easily and so forth. That's right. And we've had a continuing conversation about how to build it. I have this harebrained idea that we should make the north wall of the greenhouse black painted concrete block. And you're not opposed to it. You're just skeptical of it because you haven't heard anybody else using that. Right. But you said you'd check it out other informed sources before building it that way and that's and all I'm will, asking. We'll yes. make sure that uh, that if we do something that we've never heard of anybody else doing that we're fairly confident it will work. But right now it makes sense to me to have the the coldest wall and the wall that never gets sun in the wintertime be opaque and thermal mass and have the glass all on the east, south, and west. But we'll, we'll keep researching that and keep you posted on it. Um, I'm loving using our composting toilet. Haven't gotten you using it yet. All right. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep working on you. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I, I think I told you the other day that when we left the farm after I had become accustomed to using it, I had no choice but to use a flush toilet. And I have realized that once you've used a composting toilet, you get this weird sinking feeling when you have to flush a toilet. It's like, uh -huh. You're wasting water, and you're also poisoning water supply. And it just doesn't feel good to be doing that after you're used to using a composting toilet. One little downside about the composting toilet, which I think it's probably uh, important to mention, is we're using five-gallon plastic buckets um, for our refuse, and they are filling up faster than we expected. So you, uh, if you're going to be in the composting toilet game, go ahead and invest in... Um, Joseph Jenkins says four buckets. I think I would go with six. So you won't have to be, keep running to the pile. And we haven't really started the pile yet. We so. haven't started the pile, and maybe I'm feeling that pressure more than most folks because I don't have a pile yet. And uh, so I'm, I'm sort of saying, oh, my, this is stacking up fast. And we've had a little conversation about where to put it. Right. Right now, it's right outside our door where it's most handy to me, but that kind of bothers you, and we've tentatively agreed on a location to put it, at least when we have company. And it's still under cover. You know, it's right under the pole barn, so you won't have to get out and get wet at night to, to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it could be movable. I think that's probably one of the beauties of a composting toilet. You, you need to move it when you have company, you move it. So. 
the fruit trees are budding. We had uh, we found buds on the plums uh, were doing great. Yeah, the Bruce plums and did the AU plums were they budding? I think too? all the plums were okay. bud- budding. They're ahead of the other trees. And the peaches are budding. Mm-hmm. We've got these uh, rich May. No, not rich May. What do we have? Uh, June gold. June gold. June gold. June gold peaches, and they're beginning to bud. And a lot of your blueberries are budding. So Including the six that I still need to put out, but that may happen today. While you're working indoors, I may go out and plant the other six. If we can get a little break from the rain, that right. would be great. Next week, uh, maybe we'll be able to tell you we finished with the deer fence. Who I can hope say? So. And our daughter, who's also our announcer, is coming for a visit. Adrian Lee Bort is going to be with us next week, and we're looking forward to visiting with her. And who knows, we may uh, persuade her to uh, make an appearance here with us. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.